up, ladies and gentlemen? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Live Free Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Maxwell. It's so nice to be back uh, on the air. It's been some time, which, you know, is the beginning of every episode now. I think it's been like two months. Um, good news, Sweet Pete is doing a lot better. I think the last episode uh, was actually the day that Sweet Pete had his surgery on his neck. He had a tumor removed. Um, it ended up being non-cancerous. But at the time, uh, we had to take him into the emergency vet. We were unaware of whether the the growth had got cancer or not. Luckily enough, it was what's called a basal cell tumor, and uh, it was removed. He got a facelift. His uh, all his uh, loose skin on his neck got pulled all tight because they cut so much skin off uh, the back of his neck. And he is doing good. He's actually snoring right behind me. So um, thanks for all the well wishes with him. I did get stuck with a $6,000 vet bill, um, which is brutal. So I am going to, I think probably this weekend or uh, over the next week, I'm going to make a Sweet Pea shirt um, and do some pre-sale and see if we can't make some money to uh, help pay off that debt. Um, But otherwise, uh, Lex is not here today. But he did help me get set everything, you know, get everything set back up to be able to record uh, with Mr. Dalek, who is our guest today, uh, Mr. James Marshall. He is an old friend. I met him back in the 90s through um, Shepherd Ferry. Uh, it was funny. His stickers, I, I was seeing his stickers around town actually before I got the chance to meet him. And I, all the stickers were like a foot higher than everybody else's stickers. I was like, what in the fuck is going on with this guy? How is he able to get these things up so high? And it turns out he's just a foot taller than everybody that exists. So um, we'll talk to him in a minute. I'm very excited to announce a new sponsor on the show. Uh, SohoDesignHouse.com uh, is a company out of, originally out of New York, and they're here in Southern California now. They're in uh, L.A. Uh, they are making really rad art-based rugs. Um all handmade. Uh, they've had a number of artists who are doing really cool work. Um, Megs, who was on the podcast a few episodes ago, uh, he did one. So basically, they take a piece of artwork that's uh, made by a contemporary artist, take and transform it into a really high-end, like I said, handmade, high-quality rug that you know it could be hung as like a wall tapestry. You can put it on the floor and, you know, display it as as a rug that also has a really cool design. Um, they've had uh, Ron English, Pixel Poncho, Phil Frost did one. Uh, I posted actually on my Instagram the Dan Quintana one. I think that's how you say his name. Actually, I'd like to get him on the podcast sometime soon. His is really cool. Skulls and girls and things. And it's amazing. You know, I, we had Aaron M. Riley on the show who is a... Uh, a weaver, um, and I, I'm reminded of her work sort of in, in this aspect. Um, but these guys are the only ones who are doing it, uh, you know, in this sort of uh, avenue. So hopefully it'd be rad to make a Live Free podcast one, or even, you know, I'd like to make it, you know, or like my biggie piece that I did would turn out as a really cool rug, get a big cooge rug. So go check them out. Uh, SohoDesignHouse.com. Uh, you can check them out on Instagram at so uh, it's at S O H O D H. 
and it's Soho Design House. Uh, if you're in LA, they're over at 6912 Melrose Avenue. Um, you can go check them out and see what they have in their showroom. I'm excited to have them on board, and I appreciate the support. You know, um, the show is is a lot easier to do when there is a little money behind it. Um, so if any of you, and you know, I want to thank everybody who sent in messages while the show hasn't been going. Um, people who have donated, you know, 10 bucks, 20 bucks here and there, 50 bucks, super rad. It helps me, uh, you know, push to continue to do the show. Uh, meanwhile, while I'm trying to support an art career, pay off a $6,000 dog bill, dog vet. Um, and so the fact that, uh, People want to sponsor the show is really rad. So if you're, the, uh, you know, like a gallery or somebody involved in an industry that is uh, similar to what we're talking about here on the show and you want to um, support the show with some sponsorship, feel free to get in touch. You can email me at info at Um So, yeah, thanks to thanks to Soho Design House. They're they're sponsoring this show. And uh, make sure you go follow them on Instagram and check out all their, their social medias and stuff. Um, and you can check out all their stuff on their website, SohoDesignHouse.com. So thanks, guys. Um, again, Mr. Dalek is on the show today. Really early inspiration. Uh, super talented guy. His figures in the late 90s uh, sort of transformed how I looked at graffiti to a certain extent. Him amongst a number of other people. Uh, who have also been on the show, in fact. So I guess let's just jump right into this thing. Make sure you follow the Live Free Podcast at Live Free Podcast. You can follow me at Mike Maxwell Art. Uh, follow Producer Lex at Producer Lex. And again, follow Soho Design House, S-O-H-O-D-H. All right. Um, welcome back, guys. It's good to be back on the mic. Let's just jump right into this thing and give Dalek a call. Mr. James Marshall, what's up, my friend? What's up, Mr. Maxwell? Long time, man. I know it, it has been a long time since we've, uh, you know, seen each other in real life. I feel like the last time was at uh, one of the Mary Kurnowski shows, maybe. Right. Yeah. You know, that might be uh, one of the last times I was even in L.A. Yeah. I was. Uh, I was. Uh, I was thinking back to like when I met you, um, probably like late, early two thousands, maybe. Right. And uh, the first thing that intrigued me, you, you, I guess you were in town in San Diego, and I realized that your stickers were about a foot higher than everybody else's. <laughs> and I was like, what in the fuck is yeah. going on? Like, does this guy carry a ladder around with him? So right. it, it, something stood out right away. Um, you were, That was back in San Diego, but yeah. you, you grew up on the East Coast? Mostly East Coast, yeah. I mean, I went uh, high school in Japan, and I lived in Hawaii for a bit. You, you're a military family, right? Yeah, Navy brat. Yeah. So, how was that experience? I know for a lot of kids, like you know, even just I remember I had to change high or elementary schools within like the same the city of San Diego, but right, you know, right. I, it was a different school. And I remember that even being like a panic. I imagine it's pretty tough on kids going from like state to state, country to country. Right. I mean, it is what it is. Right. I mean, I don't think we enjoyed it, but it's the lifestyle, you know, you don't know, you know what I'm saying? We didn't know anything different. Yeah. There's no other frame of reference really. 
Right. I mean, but yeah, it sucked to kind of pull up roots every 18 months, two years, just as you were settling into a place, you know, to have to yank up and go somewhere else. Um, especially, you got to remember, man, that was pre uh, cell phone computer age. <laughs> yeah. So if you wanted to keep up with someone, you had to write letters and no 13 year olds writing letters more than once or twice before they're before they're over it <laughs> yeah i can't it's, it seems so unimaginable now like what the experience is in comparison to like what we had we, we had in terms of not having everything broadcast everything be like right in your face you know right funny even with we're doing this but um did did it uh affect your creativity did um any of those moments you know stand out in particular that sort of shaped like a an art path no, you know, I mean, I, I always drew. Like, I just, you know how it is, just one of those things from the time I was a kid. I was always copying stuff out of comic books and making up little characters and doodling shit. Yeah, I don't know if anything really started shaping it until I moved to Japan. And I think that was probably partly age, too, because I was 16 when we moved there. And then having that kind of access to, you know, the animation and that whole culture of art that the japanese have yeah a, a much different uh, type of popular culture yeah and that was always my frame of reference for art like punk records and skateboard decks were really what got me more into art and before that it was comic books so going to japan where so much of the art was kind of pop culture based and in your face everywhere you went you know from toys to magazines to every shop had you know animated characters in the windows so you know i think that's probably the first time i probably started paying attention to color you know yeah and and really trying to draw more you know for the purpose of actually believing in hey i could do something with this even though that was at that point i still had no desire to be an artist yeah right i think it was just something that was interesting to do um i was drawn to it but, uh, you know, that's that era where n nobody's parents want their kids to, you know, be an artist, man. <laughs> it's like, it's a nice hobby, but uh, leave it at that. But at the same time, though, you still saw this opportunity uh, in the in the culture at that age where you there was something that you saw where you actually could make a living at it. Is there... <sighs> No, I mean, for yeah. me at that point, it was strictly just a, it was still just a passion, you know, it just, um, I think when I saw that stuff, it just inspired me to want to draw more, you know, it never was really, you know, I remember when I moved to Hawaii, like I ended up doing a t-shirt for like one of my buddy's bands and I was like super pumped, you know, <laughs> and it was like a local band and they, they only made like two dozen, but they hung them in their local record store. And I was like, I was just pumped, man. I mean, I didn't make a penny off that. You know, we printed yeah. them in my boy's house and, you know, but I think that went with that whole punk and skate ethos. It was just, you just did it for fun and it was cool to do your own thing. And there's something interesting, right? Uh, when you see something that you hand drew turn into something that's printed, that transformation seems very magical, I think. At least I find that experience. Yeah, I mean, especially back then, man. I mean, you know, I think we got like some home screen printing kit 
you know, it's like my buddy got it and we like burned the screen in his bathroom and like we're printing them on his back porch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so it's just it was super lo-fi and uh yeah, it was just fun to do, you know. Do you remember what the graphic was? <laughs> uh, you know, vaguely, man. You know, I was so influenced by by Pusshead. Like uh-huh. once I discovered his stuff, I just was kind of over the moon about it. Yeah. Um, so I got super into that kind of pointillistic style, you know, just crazy skulls and, you know, zombies and that kind of shit, but all in that super crazy pointed out, you know, black and gray, Uh which is probably, uh, likely that everyone who was into heavy metal in the eighties probably followed a similar pathway in some way or another. Yeah. I I don't doubt it, man. (laughs) I mean, that guy, you know. Again, because of the record covers and then, uh, you know, all the graphics he did for Zorlac, you know, which is uh, one of the big skate companies, you yeah. know, at that point in the 80s, you know, and that's all I wanted to ride was Zorlac boards and like, but every time you saw a new Pusshead graphic and I would always tell people, I was like, yeah, that dude used to put ads in Maximum Rock and Roll. It'd be like, send me 10 bucks and whatever, and I'll draw something for you. Wow. You know, but That's back crazy. then, I didn't have 10 bucks. <laughs> yeah, what you a know? disaster. I'm like, I'm so bummed. Dude, but I, remember, I remember seeing those ads in Maximum Rock and Roll and just being like, God, fuck, I wish I had 10 bucks to send this dude. <laughs> It's funny that's sort of how I found Shepard, and I think I, that's how I met you was sort of through him. Yeah, it was the same sort of deal. Like, here's send ten bucks and get you know like a pack of stickers or whatever. Right, and right. Just having to be in, in the same neighborhood that I lived in and in the same environments or whatever. Um, yeah. So at what point you know I guess when I start see when I started seeing your work, it's funny you kind of bringing up the like pre-internet age. Um, I, I made a post on Instagram recently about how um, Tower Records, like the magazine, even just Tower Records in general was sort of like right. the internet of the time. Yeah, man, that's a pretty and good. That's where I started getting all of uh, like my graffiti information, you know, right. like all the different magazines all showed up there, like all the European mm-hmm. magazines, all yeah, the stuff yeah, from yeah, back yeah. east that we just weren't getting in San Diego. Right. You know. And I think your work and a lot of the stuff that you and your crew were doing in that time period, like late 90s, uh, transition to like the 2000s, I think stood out amongst a lot of that stuff. Um, So I found you then. When did you actually find graffiti? Or, you know, when did you find the I'm, I'm always interested in the transformation into the art form. You know, like I, I see oftentimes we see a lot of uh, rebellion right? Um, or, you know, a lot of personality types that are interested in taking control of their own sort of destiny to, you know, that sounds a little, you know, blown out of proportion, but like being able to take control of one's own life in some way. Right. You know, I think that's a common thread. You know, it's funny even in the mid nineties, late nineties, when the whole art scene was, you know, and everybody, well, it's not graffiti writers, it's not skateboard artists. It's kind of these, but it's still a group that everybody associated together. 
you know, especially a lot of those like move shows Rich Jacobs is doing. Um, and I think that was the common ethos, you know, it was people that came through any of those subcultures that were just kind of carving their own path. And for me, I think that skateboarding and punk is, is what led me to graffiti, you know? Yeah. Cause it was the same principles. It was like, you know, I don't really want to go down this path. There's nothing interesting, but this path, I can really express myself the way I want to and kind of, you know, do what I want with it, you know? So, I mean, I, I, I you know, I knew about graffiti from the late eighties. I first started trying to paint it like early nineties when I moved to Chicago. Were, were you quick to start adding the figurative work into your pieces? You know, the thing for me was, I, you know, when I first started trying to paint graffiti, everybody told me you got to do letters, right? Right. And I remember I didn't want, you know, like I tried and I tried and I was like, I don't really dig this. Like, I'm not feeling it. And I always doodled characters. I told you, like, they're growing up, that's all I ever did. And then so I was like, well, fuck, man, I kind of want to spray paint characters. But there weren't a lot of dudes doing characters back then. Yeah. And I remember people telling me, like, well, you can't do characters because that's not graffiti. Graffiti is letters. And I was like, well, how the fuck are there rules to this shit already? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, motherfuckers, you know, you come out like, you, you you know, hey, man, it's it's a free-for-all. And then you hit me with all these rules. And I was like, well, fuck it. I just want to paint the characters. And then the more I started developing ideas, that's kind of how the first Space Monkey concept, you know. And then people were like, oh, yeah, this is good, man. You should just keep messing with this. Yeah. And do you, do you ever think, like, it's interesting now to look back, what, like 20 years, you know, somewhere around that, to, you know, later. Right. And yeah, see yeah. the transition into what we see now in like this mass mural movement that's sort of been, you know, snowballing over the last five to ten years, you know. Like the yeah. like the movement into like the the air quote street art movement, but it's now sort of turned into like something different from even right, what right. that thing was. Do you see do you see that as like a like I I mean from from my point of view, I see you guys like people like you and Scribe and a number of different people who sort of uh, transitioned the 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 graffiti movement. And I even I hated to even like start to like like name things or whatever. But did right, you right. did you see that as a, a transitional point? Well, Maybe what, not what? then, but you know, like looking yeah. back now. You know, it's funny, man. Like I never. I think even within everything, like I never really subscribed to the overall scene of it, you know? Yeah. Like I, I hung out with, you know, who I hung out with and we kind of painted what we painted and, you know, it was always natural to evolve. I think everything has to evolve. Like, you know, graffiti artists were complaining about street artists, like, you know, skateboarders whined about BMXers, you know, in the eighties or <laughs> someone's always got a bitch about something and yeah. they always got to whine about who did what first and what's legit and what's not. And this, that, and the other fucking. Yeah. And sometimes I, I feel like 
you ha- it takes like that decade of time, 10, 15 years to be able to look at something and be able to get a generalization, a general view of the history of something. Right. Like for me, like for instance, I would, I don't see like Dabs and Mila doing the MTV music award thing. If right. It wasn't for guys like you and like the other people mentioned or like other people around that time, uh, sort of making these marks. And I don't know if those, you know, it's not a, obviously a direct correlation to anybody specific, right? But well, I definitely I mean, see those things as needing to have ha- had happened to be where we're at now. You know, you know, like to well, no, no doubt. I mean, I think no different than what happened in the '80s influenced what happened. You know, I mean, you you always have feeder generations. Um, you know, the biggest game changer as it is with anything is social media, right? I mean, even fuck in the early two thousands, you didn't have this, this posting power basically, right. Where Mm -hmm. now you paint something and everybody can see it, you know, and I think it's so much easier to generate um, these movements now because it's so much easier to access stuff. I mean, I can go online and, you know, we used to have to wait for a graffiti mag to come out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But the magazine would be like 20 pages and it would be like maybe 50 different dudes. Now I can go on Instagram and I can look at, you know, hundreds of different pieces of art within 10 minutes. And then I can take each one of those tangents anywhere I want to and keep discovering shit. Yeah. That, um, that's the beauty, that, right? Like that that spiral that you can get chucked into of information and knowledge, not in like a negative way. Right. I mean, look, you know, like anything, it can, it can be a colossal waste of time. And, (laughs) but at the same time, there's some good cherries to be picked, you know? Yeah. And I think about that, you know, whether it's my age or someone who's young coming up, like, you know, the access kids have now. So if you're 13, 14 now and, you can discover so much more shit. When we were 13, 14, man, you had to discover stuff by walking down the street. Yeah, yeah. And you only knew what was going on in your own backyard. So now for people to have that ability to understand things globally, um, you know, simply from their phone, uh, it's it's, it's cool, man. I think the the mural movement, like anything, there's good and there's bad. There's stuff that, I love and there's stuff that I hate and you know, um, but I found I've stumbled onto so much cool shit and (laughs) you know, that it served as an inspiration for me to just keep pushing what I'm doing. So I appreciate something that keeps me from being complacent, you know? Yeah. I think complacency is the, the worst of all all things right to sort of settle in and feel like I'm in a, a groove and I'm just going to ride it out. But well, to realize like, I got to just keep pushing and pushing and taking it to next levels and new places. And I think that's a good uh, spot to, you know, I, I, we, we spoke about the space monkeys for a minute. Uh, they took like, uh, they sort of took a hiatus in your work. Um, yeah. You know, a number of years ago. Um, I'm interested, is that the sort of thinking that went into that? Like, you know, you've been working on a particular body of work for a set period of time, and was it a general lack of interest? Were you more interested in pushing yourself? And then I, I want to talk about the new work as well, too. 
Yeah, I mean, the space monkey thing, for me, I, I tried to, I pushed it as far as I could with the skill sets I had at the time. Mm-hmm. And once I sort of hit a place where I felt like I was just repeating myself, like, so I'd be prepping for a show and I'm like, all right, I, you know, I want to make eight paintings. And I started feeling like half of them looked the same. I was like, yeah, I can't do this anymore. And that's when, you know, the decomposition started with that show with Jonathan's and, and then at Mary's where the space monkey started getting covered up and the geometry started coming in. And, um, and it was just, you know, it was just time. And I think for me, that's always it, man. I always just trust my instincts, like on what feels right or doesn't feel right. You know? Uh-huh. And that's, uh, that's, a, that's an interesting point too, because a, a, a big thing that comes up is, especially in the art world in general, and even just in business practice, like, you find something that works and then you stick to it if it if it you know benefits you right uh, emotionally financially right uh, psychologically uh and it, it's it's interesting that that you can i i feel like some people get stuck in the financial which i mean is understandable um but right. to follow the your gut sometimes it takes like uh you have to be, you have to be brave Sometimes, you know, you have to be willing to take those risks. Did you did you feel that way? Well, you know, I just for me. You know, I always felt that if I didn't. See something through. You know, that if I didn't take it where I I felt it needed to go, that that was the empty point, you know, what I'm saying. And I'd rather, you know, if I was just continuing to crank out space monkeys just to get a paycheck. I'd probably want to shoot myself, <laughs> you know, cause to me, that's, that's not what is interesting about life, you know? Yeah. So for me, everything is about experience. Like the more experience I get and all I'm doing in my paintings is trying to understand things better. Right. So all the paintings I've made the last five years are really about understanding color, shape, space, um, just they're just studies for me to understand how to do shit better. And so the more I can build my skill sets, the better I can understand how to execute the ideas I want to execute. And that for me is, is what it's about. I have, did, have you ever taken the um, gradient color test? It's online. There's like a test that you have to. Oh up. yeah. Yeah. I, I, think I, I imagine you would probably ace that. Yeah, I forget what I got on it, man. I, I took it once. <laughs> Um, but that was probably even a couple of years ago, man. Like my gradient skills have, have gotten a lot tighter. Yeah. That and, seems like uh, a, a pretty significant challenge, especially I get you, you I, you're wearing glasses, but I, I would assume you have to have some good eyesight. To, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I need reading, you know, reading glasses for this shit up yeah. close. Um, I got one of those, uh, model lamps, you know, with the big magnifying glass oh, in it. Yeah, yeah. Because a lot of times lining up points, um, you, you can't even be off like, you know, a 32nd of an inch or it'll be all fucked up. Yeah. And that's something like a signature of your work over time has been like the cleanliness of line. I feel like that's something that I uh, was very, uh, that I admired in the work itself. Uh, yeah. The cleanliness of line and making straight lines 
and having everything be clean. I'm sure that it's not as clean as it actually looks, or maybe it is. Uh, you, been a while since I've seen anything in person, but you know, yeah, it's a it's a that's a task in and of itself. Yeah, it is, man. I mean, it's clean in person. It's cleaner than it looks. Like most people, like my my work never photographed well. Yeah. Um, when people see it in person, they tend to be like, "Oh shit!" Because I don't think the depth comes through in the photographs. Because uh-huh. I don't photograph anything except with my phone. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm the and same I don't, way. I don't light it. I don't, you know, I hang it on a wall and take a quick photo of my phone and post it. Um, so when people see it in person, I think they they see more of the depth and the and the real slight color variations. Yeah, and that's another problem too is getting the colors to come out properly and not lose like where one gradient would turn into two like two blocks of color look like one block of color etc right and 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 keeping the the shade you know the the hue consistent so that it's not getting a little warmer or cooler as you step it down either yeah that's like purples Um, like if a purple goes too red all of a sudden it changes the entire like smoothness of the transition right right so sometimes i'll mix colors and i'll have to yank certain things and go back and and retool them a little bit um is that part of the fun for you really just mixing the color yeah, you know, I could fucking do it all day, every day. <laughs> it's funny how that happens, right? Like some of the other stuff that isn't the art becomes right. like the fun, like joyful part for the maker. Yeah, I mean, I could, you know, I love mixing colors. My problem is I'll spend weeks doing it and then forget to paint. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, shit, I better start painting, man. I'm mixing all these colors. Do uh do you find that the more abstracted work now is a little bit more of the um like working from your gut? Like you know, we were talking about instinct a little bit there. Yeah, I mean I feel like now now I'm trying to understand how to take flat two dimensional color and start converting it into three dimensional shape. And that's where the color complexity can get a little tighter. Uh You know, you can step down. Like I used to think if I had like eight gradient, you know, like eight gradients of one color, I was good. And now I'm getting into like 20, 24 and next will be like 40, 50. Um, You know, but for me, now I'm starting to realize how I can shape things. And now I feel like I'm in the infancy of that. Like I'm just starting to figure out how to push and pull and manipulate things forwards and backwards and have things come out and recede. Yeah. And, and again, even like objects are starting to come out a slight, you know, like abstractions of objects. Right. And, you know, part of it, there's, there's twofold there. One is, you know, I'm teaching myself, so I'll do something and I'll be like, Oh, okay. I didn't quite get that shape the way I want to. So now I know I got to, make this line a little fatter and make this one a little thinner and lift this up and push that back. But I've always liked the idea of like, someone asked me like, why I don't just do like fade fades? Like why the hard line fades? Uh-huh. And I'm like, because I don't want like to shade things. Like it's about two dimensional color. The minute I start fading in just a regular fade, it's completely different 
than just taking individual colors and stacking them uh-huh. and creating the illusion of a fade. And I was like, if you can create three dimensional things with just two dimensional, like no shading, you know, um, none of that weird fadey, you know, just everything is a block color. Yeah. And um, weird things happen when that, when you implore that method, as opposed to, a uh, you know, like a worked blended or whatever. Uh, I, I like that there's a, it, there's it fools your eye to a right. certain extent yeah it does you know because naturally you're gonna have what looks like a highlight on one side and a shadow on the other because where the color meets the lighter color on one side of it it looks darker and when it hits the other side where the darker colors next to it it looks lighter so even though they're individual strips of color it'll look like it fades from light to dark or dark to light within each band yeah uh-huh so you naturally get these crazy stepped illusions and and i like that i always like when people just look at the work and they're trying to figure it out yeah because that's how i would go look at work when i went to museums or galleries like it's just how the fuck do they do that that's how you always know an artist is looking at a painting. So a, a casual observer will be like the three foot, like general distance back, maybe a little right. peek in. But artists always look at art from the side, like from the very <laughs> side and like try to see all the ridges and all the right. uh, everything that's going on. I can always tell the artists in a room in a gallery. It's funny. It is, man. But, you, you know, everything for me is about process. Yeah. Like people always ask, like the minute I make a painting, I could care less about it. Like once it's done, like I'm happy to put it out in the world and for other people to see it and obviously hopefully be able to sell it. But all I'm thinking the minute I finish a painting is like, what did I learn in that one that I can apply to the next one? Do you, and then do you look just, back? Do you what's look back, that? Do you look back at the old work? And- sometimes. I mean, sometimes by default. Meaning if someone sends me a picture of something or says, hey, you know, what about this work? Or, um, And there's sometimes there's things I see that I left behind, mm-hmm. but I don't try to replicate it, you know? Yeah, you can't. It's, a, it's I, don't, I feel like, oh, you know, I was hitting on something there, but it was what it was. And yeah. it doesn't serve any purpose for me to try to go back and, and tangent off of that. Um do you get nostalgic though? No, 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 not at all, man. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I feel grateful that the career is, you know, been able to, to continue to grow, you know? Yeah. I think I look at it that way. Like I'm glad that I'm still capable of, of kind of pushing what I'm doing. And that I feel like that I haven't even really touched the surface, you know? I feel like I'm just starting to figure some shit out. Oh, that's so beautiful to hear. So we'll see where it takes me, man. Nice. That's I, that's a perfect spot to end it. We got about a half hour. Um, can we send our listeners? Where couldn't they find your work online on Instagram? And if yeah, you got Inst- it- Instagram's the best place, man. Um, I'm in the process of rebuilding the site and getting all that back up and running but i've been posting everything i've been doing on instagram and uh, my handle there is just at dalek 2020 nice 
All right, brother. I want to thank you again. I know it's getting late. Um, I want to thank you again for taking the time to shoot the shit with me. It's a pleasure to uh, to talk with you again for a moment. Hopefully, we'll uh, see each other in real life before too long again. Yeah, no doubt. Man. I'm gonna try to get out west uh, sometime in the fall. So if I if I do, I'll keep you posted for sure. Is there uh, anything coming up you, that we should be on the lookout for? No, I'm doing a couple uh, group shows through ThinkSpace. That's kind of because the painting's been taking so long. Um, I've just been putting one here and there, and I've been working with uh, Andrew and those guys. Um, I've known him forever, and he always always takes good care of me. Cool. Um, and then ideally planning for a build-up to uh, get back into some solo show in, in 2016. Beautiful. So I, I want to do a few things before I'm ready for that, though. Yeah. All right, man. Again, it was a pleasure. Let's do Internet Dap. All right, brother. Boom. All right. <laughs> Thanks again. Have a good night, bud. All right, Mike. Good talking, man. Yeah, you too. I'll talk to you later. All right. Bye. All right. That was my chat with Dalek. Uh, rad guy. Again, super inspirational. Um, I'm glad we finally got to do that. It kind of took us a while. We've been trying to get together for like a year to sit down and talk. Um, this one was short and sweet. It was about midnight his time when we recorded. So thanks again to Dalek for, for coming on the show. Go check him out on Instagram at Dalek2020. Um, again, big thanks to Soho Design House for sponsoring this episode and um, some future episodes. Uh, go follow them at so. H-O-D-H on Instagram and it's just short for SohoDesignHouse.com so go check out their rugs they're fucking super rad and um, I'm I'm really stoked on their support uh, and make sure you go follow the podcast at Live Free Podcast and all the different social medias follow me at Mike Maxwell Art and see my junk and go buy my shit and um, if you want to donate to the podcast just go to MikeMaxwellArt.com Click on the podcast, there's a PayPal link, and you could drop some dough in if you would like to. And again, welcome back, guys. I'm uh, I'm stoked to have everybody listening, and I should have some new episodes coming up soon. Shouldn't take two months this time. Um, I got some more time on my hands now. I'm a little bit more free, so I'm going to try to record as many episodes as I can for you guys and get them out there and um, keep doing the show. So thanks again for listening. Uh, Shout out producer Lex at producer Lex. Um, and yeah, I guess that's it. Love you. This rock of ours is just.